Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White, and this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Dr. Renee White. I am your host. It's episode 84 today, which is very, very exciting. We, as we approach the hundred, oh, today's guest, so, so cool. I have been hanging out with this woman since I moved to Tassie and she is just an absolute powerhouse. She is all things birth, all things education, all things mother lover, which you know, let's be honest, is totally my jam. So I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today. We just could not get through all the content. So we ended up recording two parts to this episode, which I think is totally warranted. It is talking about how to prepare for your C-section, which we actually get a lot of questions around when we are doing our postpartum doula planning sessions. So for all those playing at home, when I'm not sitting in front of the microphone, I am leading the Fill Your Cup Doula Village here in Hobart, but also our Doula Village resides in Melbourne, Newcastle and Sydney. And we essentially provide newborn mothers and fathers an opportunity to really enjoy their postpartum experience. It's around nurturing and nourishing you. It's around making beautiful hot meals for you to have, holding your bubby while you go have a nice warm shower, having a rest. Oh my goodness, I would have died (laughs) to have had a postpartum doula in those newborn days. It's about putting some laundry on, folding the washing, hanging out with your toddler so you can have some one-on-one time with your bubby. We totally get it. It's so, so bloody hard to have a family. And sometimes you need to call on your village. And that is what we do as postpartum doulas. As well as the, I guess, practicalities of our support, we provide a tremendous amount of emotional and educational support. And our guest today is one of those people who helps us provide the best education we can for our families. And one of the things that we often get asked in either the postpartum planning session, or we know it's coming anyway, if you choose to have an elective cesarean like I did, is that how can you best prepare yourself for that process? There are a lot of birthing classes, which just frame themselves around vaginal births, and that is totally fine. But sometimes, like myself, we just choose to have an elective cesarean for whatever those reasons are, and there should be no judgment with that. So our guest today is Emma Watson, who (laughs) she... She said, I said to her, can you send through a bio? And Emma's so gorgeous. <laughs> She's put, hi, I'm Emma, a flower loving, tiny hobby farm living, coffee averse, shift working midwife. <laughs> I absolutely love that, Emma. 
Emma is the founder of Seasons of Birth, which is a space that offers women support, different ways of learning about pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. And obviously she's a midwife, so she helps navigate that wild ride that, you know, this this season is. And so Emma has assisted many families through C-sections. But what we're going to talk about today is making the cesarean birth a family-centered C-section. What are we what are we actually going to implement? And everyone knows if you've been listening to this podcast, I'm all about prevention over treatment. So let's start game planning so we know exactly what is going to happen in this C-section so we can get our mental and our mindset in the right place and not just for you, but for your partner as well. So if you are planning a C-section or you're not sure which way it's going to go, I would highly recommend you listening to this, but also just send your, just send your partner, your birth support partner, this link. And so they can have a listen to it so they can game plan as well because they need to understand what's about to happen. And we also talk about how they can, I guess, look after you and themselves as well in the process. So in the first part of this episode, we are essentially going to take you from you know the cesarean's happening. We're going to actually walk you through, you know, arriving at the hospital, things to think about before you get to the hospital, all the way up until the baby is here. And so in the second part, we're going to talk about what happens after Bubby arrives and the things around, you know, looking after yourself. What looks, what does it look like at home? How can you best prepare for the home birth? And, you know, those first couple of days in hospital as well, which I think to an extent I was prepared for, but, you know, not really. (laughs) So Emma is going to walk us through that and she does such a brilliant job we worked together closely looking after one particular mum and I remember seeing the email that she sent one of our clients who was having a cesarean and some of the tips that she gave, I just thought, oh, man, that is such a good idea. I wish I wish I had thought about that and I also wish that I had advocated for myself or had, you know, my husband advocate for me to integrate some of those practices. Although I had a really magical birth, that would have just really been like cherry on the top for me. So I know you're going to find this chat really, really valuable. So get your pen and paper ready. Having said that though, you don't have to get your pen and paper ready because Emma and I decided on the fly that we were going to prepare a c-section checklist for you so that is going to be able to be downloaded from our websites obviously our website is ifillyourcup.com so that's i-f-i-l-l-y-o-u-r-c-u-p.com and emma's website is seasons with an s of birth com.au so you can jump over to either one of those websites and you can download that checklist so you can get yourselves prepared for what is about to unfold all right then i hope you love this episode see you on the other end bye
Hello and welcome to the podcast. It is Emma Watson, not the Hermione Granger type, which my (laughs) daughter is currently obsessed with, but the lovely Emma Watson, who is the founder of Seasons of Birth, a midwife, a birth educator. Is there anything you don't do, Em? (laughs) (laughs) No. Feels a little bit that way at the moment. Yeah, they're probably the big ones that are relevant in this space at this point in time. I know, right? And for all those playing at home, I think this is the millionth time we've tried to organise this. <laughs> um, Emma is a lovely midwife here in Tasmania who I got to know quite quickly, I think, after I moved here because I was like, hey, girl, um, you like teach calm birth and I'm totally into that and can I sling some choc goji lactation cookies to your <laughs> lovely families? Yes. And then I think the rest is history, right? Pretty much. It was that, yeah, the first patch up coffee, complete stranger. But that whole experience was kind of that moment of nurturing that, that like midwife within, still yeah. within kind of space. Yeah. And it was pretty clear pretty early in that conversation that we were traveling a very similar path I think so absolutely definitely yeah yeah all about the mother care I love that yeah. but today we are going to talk about a topic that I know is probably very dear to our hearts I mean you have you have walked along the side of many 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 mummers when it comes to c-sections I have had an elective c-section and I've been quite open and honest about my reasonings and the journey around that but And this is actually one of the biggest topics that we get asked as postpartum doulas, particularly for mamas who have signed on quite early in their pregnancy. And for whatever reason it is, some choose to because it is a personal choice. Some people are kind of, I don't want to say the word forced because I think that's not the right word, but some people have to elect to have a cesarean because of medical reasons. And the number one thing they ask is how do I prepare for a family-centered C-section? Something that is going to be, you know, a memorable experience because And we've been talking offline very briefly already Mm -hmm. about the stigma that is involved Mm -hmm. when it comes to C-sections. I felt it. I know other mamas-to-be feel it. Mm -hmm. So let's kick off in terms of like how, (laughs) yeah, what is it? How do we prepare for it? You know, what are your tips? What have you seen with your experience nurturing mums as a midwife and walking down that corridor with them as they get wheeled into surgery? Mm -hmm. What are your kind of like explain the whole scenario to us? Yeah, so I first want to say that it has changed so much even in the last few years that I have entered into the area and supported women in the area. The change has been huge. So Mm -hmm a family-centered cesarean or otherwise kind of called like a gentle cesarean is essentially saying that it is your birth and that you have control and decisions within that space. So it's kind of creating this birth experience being a cesarean birth that kind of invokes this kind of peaceful, calm atmosphere that closely mimics that that might be experienced outside of an operating room because I guess that's right. the- big difference we see is that a cesarean birth takes place in the operating room, which can be a really different environment. And so it's basically taking this space of going, these might have been, like I guess there's for quite a few years there's been a lot of 
focus on that informed birth. And a lot of that has headed down the track of vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. And I think this is now opening up to that space of going, no, it's all birth. It's vaginal birth. It's instrumental birth. It's cesarean birth. Within all those spaces, there are choices. And what we know is that women and families who are aware of that, informed and prepared, do have better experiences overall. Mm. And that's where I think we, certainly in the birth education space, can do better, are doing better in accepting, like you, I say this to you all the time, there is no normal birth, there is no natural birth. Birth is a birth and that's it. Mm. Whether the baby is born vaginally or out of a mum's tummy, like it's mm. still your birth. And the difference between cesarean births from when I first started where it did feel very medicalised and, um, you know, it was more of something happening to someone, which I hate to yeah. say that, but it was. Yeah. To now, I said to you, some of the most beautiful births I have been a part of have been cesarean births. Mm. Um, and I think that says a lot to women and to families that are coming through as well that, you know, there's so much that we can still do. Yeah. So I guess on that sort of topic, when we talk around cesarean birth, we talk emergency cesarean birth. Yeah. Um, unplanned cesarean birth versus planned cesarean birth. So mm. we know that there's a multitude of reasons why um, a woman might have a cesarean birth, being planned or unplanned. And I guess the main thing to know if you are someone who is preparing for birth is to know that you can still prepare for a vaginal birth but still feel prepared for a possible unplanned cesarean birth. Right. It's not like it's going to set you up for failure is a lot of okay. what I do. If I'm oh, okay. a cesarean, aren't I setting myself up for failure and accepting that that's just what's going to happen? And that was like, for me, I was like, well, no. Wow. I've not, well, yeah, I, I haven't heard that. Yeah. But I kind of, I see the, I see the mental kind of, I mean, I see that in life. People are like, I don't plan for a plan B because plan A is going to work. And I'm like, good luck to you. I have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, every single one listed out. I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I I'm, I love to have contingency plans for everything. But I but I totally yeah I see that mentality though. But but do you? I think you know, kind of looking at it as a it's a societal issue though because and I felt it and other women I know who I've spoken to have felt it. People think that it's a failure if you don't have a vaginal birth Mm -hmm. people believe and they project their own thoughts and judgments onto others and go you know but then there's there also seems to be like this level up as well in terms of like oh well did you have a drug-free vagina you know like that's the that's the summit that people are climbing and I'm just like girlfriend you ain't getting a medal at the top of that mountain like it's like if you if your mental health has gone out the goddamn window and mm-hmm. if you have, you know, a fourth degree tear and your partner is scarred and you've endured birth trauma and all this other stuff, I'm like, was it worth it? Like, mm-hmm. like I'm just like, 
let's just all get out of here alive, you know, with our mental health kind of in check. Yeah. And there's just that element of unknown, I think, with birth. Like, I've been doing it for years and there's still an element of unknown. You know, the baby doesn't read the textbook. The uterus doesn't read the textbook. Yes, we know that there's things we can do to help to promote uh, vaginal birth and to foster those hormones that are going to support you and your body. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like you said, there's no metal at the very top. Like it's what you want and there's no right way to do it. And even though I think there's a lot of that coming through social media now about this concept of, you know, there's no right way, yet there's this kind of underpinning feeling for a lot of women that, I did fail in some way. My body didn't naturally do something. Yeah. And that's where this all comes into play, where I think it's like, well, it's still your birth and your body is still doing things. And that is where if we can kind of turn that attention to how can I prepare, how can I prepare myself, my partner, the baby, like even looking at the differences for a baby between a vaginal birth and a cesarean birth. Yeah. There's a lot of talk around this concept of, you know, it's not natural um, and it's not as beneficial for them. But when we kind of deep dive into this gentle cesarean birth kind of concept, it's like, well, actually there's still so much you can be doing that alters the hormones in your body that are going to get to your baby and they're going to help them to prepare for that cesarean birth. Mm. Um, and even uh, especially after, like when we look at that initial postpartum cesarean section area, that's huge. So what, like, let's talk through. So let's say, let's say mama's pregnant. She wants a vaginal birth, but, you know, there's the possibility of having, a, you know, an emergency C-section. What are the types of things that she should be kind of prepping herself or just having the knowledge around? Yeah, what it is. So I think understanding what a cesarean birth actually entails how they can come about. So when we hear this emergency cesarean birth, I can tell you in my time as a midwife so far, I have maybe had one true emergency cesarean birth where we have had to kind of like the TV makes it look, oh, my God, something's gone wrong. Yeah. Go run, go get the baby out now. Once yeah. I've had that bit, and it wasn't even that dramatised. Yeah. But any kind of cesarean that wasn't planned falls under that banner of mm-hmm. emergency cesarean. So I think yeah. understanding that to begin with. So when people yeah. say we had an emergency cesarean birth, that image that we have in our head isn't necessarily what it looks like. Okay. What it does look like is often a family might begin to labour. They come to their chosen place of birth in labour. Uh, for some reason, something's just not I don't want to say not how do I word this like almost like things are not moving forward yeah like it's yeah there's something in the picture that is um, a variation I guess in some ways and that variation might then mean that a vaginal birth isn't the safest option for baby or might not be the safest option for Mm mum What we tend to actually see is that conversation takes place. It's not like a, you need to go for a cesarean right now we're going. It's like a, hey, this is where we're at. This is what we're seeing. This is what it might mean. And these are kind of the options from here. Yeah. That's how it should be. Because then sort of the partner and the woman have that space to go, okay, this is where we're at. Mm. What do we want to do from here? 
Yeah. Do we want more time? Do we wish to proceed with a cesarean birth? Yeah. That's well how we kind of see it. And then that time frame, when I'm saying that, like that time frame can be like an hour and a half for that decision to get made. You yeah. Know? Like it's not a instant thing always. Yeah, we're not hitting the DEFCON 4 button. Or no, right. there's no big red button we eject yeah. from. Um, <laughs> I think understanding that that's sort of how that process might look. Yeah. And then I guess if we kind of follow through that journey, I've kind of started us on it now, mm. um, from there you leave that birth room and you head to the operating theatre, you are going to have with you your midwife, your OB, whoever that primary carer is, is coming with you. Okay. You're also going to have one support person in most hospitals I know of will have one support person present um, for the birth of a, through a cesarean. Mm-hmm. Um, so they will come with you as well. Once you get into that kind of waiting bay space, there's sort of more that medicalised checks and things that are happening. Yeah. And I guess that's where that sort of more medicalised space starts to show. Yeah, Kind of where I talk to families about, okay, within this space, you might be noticing that increase in adrenaline because you're starting to feel a bit like, oh, okay, this is, I'm going to birth my baby. And that's when you might start to think about, okay, what is a cesarean birth? Whereas if you already know that, you've kind of got that picture in your head and you can sit with that. And this is a space where you want to start kind of implementing those techniques that you have to keep you calm, breath work, Take earphones. You know, mm-hmm. if you get stuff in your pockets, it can come with you into the theatre. So, you know, fill your partner's pockets with things, of phones and earphones and cameras and that kind of stuff to bring with you. Um, yes. Because, you know, pop your earphones in and listen to your music, all that kind of stuff that's going to keep you in that space that you're in is so useful when you get down there. Yeah. As you move then through and into the theatres, I think the biggest uh, change from possibly what you'd experience in the birth space into an operating theatre is the volume of people. Yeah. Um, And the temperature, Em, that's what um, I noticed. Like you go from like this ultra warm space to really cold and that was the that was probably the only thing mm-hmm. that I kind of had a bit of a gripe about. And I went, oh, my God, it's cold in here because, um, you know, you've got your bum hanging out the back of a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And you're like, it's um, breezy in here. Oh, you, know, yeah. so, yeah. you know, you've got to get your spinal um, yeah. tap in. Yeah. And rightly so for all those playing at home, they have to have it cold because that's in order to mitigate the breeding of bugs, right? Because, you know, it's got to be at a Mm -hmm. temperature where they're not going to survive. So that that was one thing I definitely noticed. That cooler tech, yeah, definitely. And I guess we also go that temperature change is also going to create some of that fight-flight type response within your body because you kind of go, oh, that's cold, my body's adjusting to that. Um, Warm blankets exist, I say this because not many people offer them necessarily, but there are warm blankets in there and we can put them on you and warm you up. So, you know, just those little things, if you can remember and you go, oh, I'm feeling cold, I'm feeling chattery, find that person, find that midwife, whoever that person is, and say, can I have a warm blanket? Yeah. Even when they're putting, say, analgesia spinal in, you can still have it wrapped around your legs and over your knees and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Definitely. 
So I guess on that topic of analgesia, I guess mm-hmm. this is the other thing that comes up a lot is like, well, medications, pain relief, um, am I going to feel anything? Yes, that was my number one panic. Yeah, yeah. So even just like when I'm talking to people who might be planning a cesarean birth or really wanting to dig a little bit deeper into, I'll go to the point of talking about um, what sensations you might expect to feel. So what we tend to see through generally for an unplanned cesarean, if you have an epidural already, they'll just top up the epidural. Okay. If you don't have an epidural, the recommendation would be spinal analgesia. So nothing's left in your back. It's just an injection to basically yeah. make you nice and numb from about here down. Yes. So um, within that, they're the two main forms of analgesia we see. That doesn't take very long to kick in at all. You're going to start to notice some oh, pins and needles in your toes. So fast. So <laughs> I, far. Was shocked. I was like, okay, you better get my legs up on that table because, yeah. like, I don't. But the other thing I want to um, raise, and you're probably going to talk about this, is the fact that it's not like it's not a feeling where it feels like you don't have any legs. Do you get what I mean? Like, I panicked because the anesthetist, mm-hmm. you know, kind of did the spinal tap or whatever and then he grabbed my thigh and said can you feel this and he kind of shook my leg and Mm -hmm. I said yeah like and he looked at me quite strangely and I said well you're obviously shaking my leg I can feel I can feel the movement if you get what I mean right Mm -hmm. and he said no can you feel me pinching you and I said no I can't feel that so yeah. it's kind of, I, yeah, when you don't know what to expect, I was like, yeah, I can feel you like throwing my leg around. <laughs> yeah. And that's how often that point, like, yeah, having been in the theatre with women, it's that moment where they go, I can still feel that. And it's like, you know, you will. You will feel touching and you will feel movement. Yes. But you won't feel sharp is what that's yes. ideal is you won't feel pinching sharpness. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's That's where we're aiming. I guess, mm. and we don't always do the best job of explaining that bit. <laughs> but the legs will still be there. Um, yeah. They will feel heavy and pins and needly and all that, and you won't have that movement, but they're still there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely that's sort of the beginning. And then just know that from there kind of you're, you're laying kind of flat for the first time in the last nine oh. months or so. <laughs> It's glorious. That was the other thing I noted. I was like, oh, my God, this feels so good right now because yeah. I'm a back sleeper. Oh, so, yeah. You yes. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, can you just take your time? Like, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the main thing is to know that, like, it's not something being done to you. It's to support you to birth your baby. So all of this stuff is like, we want you to talk to us. Like as a care provider, I want the woman to tell me, oh, I'm not quite comfortable. Can I sit my head up a little bit more? Um, you know, oh, I feel a bit woozy. Okay, I want to like I want to do stuff to make this a really yes. good experience. Yeah. I don't want yeah. you to grin and bear it. And I think so many of us do. Like I we chatted just before I had my own surgery admission recently. And even I was like, grin, bear it. I'm invincible, like push on. And I was like, no, these people are here to make me comfortable. Like yes. let's make that happen. So I think we have yes. to remember that when we come in this space as well. 
I'm actually in the process of just writing down little things because I feel like we should have a little checklist at the end mm-hmm. of like all the things, like as you said, maybe your partner can have this checklist in their pocket and if this oh, happens, yeah. let's whip that checklist out and I'm going to, I've already, like I just do this stuff on the fly. <laughs> at the end, we're going to put, we're going to, Em and I are going to do a checklist and we can chuck it up on the website and you can mm-hmm. download it and you have it as your like C-section go-to checklist. Mm. Um, on yeah. that comfortable part, Em, yeah. one thing that I noted, um, and I have heard this, I didn't have it happen to me, mm-hmm. but in terms of your arms being strapped mm-hmm. down, yeah. can you talk us through because one is there a medical reason for that? Two, can you ask, hey, I want one arm free because when Bubby arrives, you know, you want to be able to cuddle your Bubby. Um, h- how does that work? Is that one of the things that you kind of raise with your mamas too? I find this so interesting because I have never seen anyone have their arms strapped down. Oh. So I find it, and I know that it happens because women tell me it happens, but I'm like, when and where yeah maybe or maybe not tassie i don't maybe know no there's women in tassie that have said it oh okay um, i don't know if it's hospital differences doctor preferences yep. and i've is, heard it's doctor preferences yeah that's what i've heard yep so i would strongly recommend any woman to advocate for not having your arms strapped down that yep. is kind of like a defenseless vulnerable space to be in yeah um and you don't need to be the main thing we look at is you know one of your arms will have the cannula in it that's giving you fluids and medications yeah depending on where that is on your arm you know you might be asked to keep your arm out straight so it's working Mm. usually the other arm's free yes and I guess this plays into what we're going to talk about hopefully we have time this podcast um, yeah. but we're going to talk about that skin to skin with and having your baby on you afterwards. You need yeah. your arms, like, yeah, you know, it, you see that difference for women that have the ability to move both arms versus only one arm and all those kind of mm-hmm. things. So, I don't think it's a necessity. Um, I know the primary reason why a lot would perhaps the reason why I think they would recommend it is to avoid interruption of the surgery. Um, in the terms of kind of they're right there and they're operating, they don't want to get bumped and things, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in saying that, women are amazing. They're not stupid, you know. Yeah. Yeah. In that, the most you'll move is that moment where you meet your baby and you want to reach up and grab them and be with yeah. them and hold them. And yeah. But other than that, women are so understanding and you just say, hey, just keep your arms, you know, keep them tucked in a little bit. So we're not yeah. too much. And yeah. So I would read, like, if you're someone who's heading in for a cesarean birth and they're strapping your arms down, ask the questions. Why do I need my arms strapped? I don't want my arms strapped. Is this a necessity? Yeah. Um, what happens if I say don't strap my arms down? Yeah. What okay, are you going to do? I love that. <laughs> like all that kind of stuff. And I think that plays into more things to add to that checklist. Mm. Monitoring. So the other thing you'll have is a blood pressure cuff, which pumps up and down pretty regularly. Yeah, pop some monitors on to kind of, you know, check your sats through the little glowing thing on your finger, um, heart rate, that kind of stuff. A lot of anesthetists are doing an amazing job at moving away from putting them on the chest. Um, okay. And they're actually putting them on the back. Uh, oh. So that they're okay. not interrupting that skin to skin. Yeah. Um, but that's something else to keep in mind. Can we keep monitors out of the way as much as we can? 
um, you know, in those moments before the cesarean, what sort of medications um, do you plan to give me? Is there anything that's sedating? There's not normally much mm. that's sedating medication given um, once you've got a good working spinal. Um, but there are some women who might say, look, I don't, I really don't want any other medication that might mean that I'm not as present for my birth as what I could be. Um, and we know that kind of to some extent it's not uniform. Every doctor, um, anaesthetist, whoever they are, is going to have a different way of doing things. So it's always good to check in in those yeah. moments. There's opportunities to check in. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I did not know that. Mm. I'm now, like it's one of those things where I'm starting to think back at my personal journey. I recall like feeling a little bit nauseous mm. and I remember someone saying to me, if you feel sick, tell them because they can give you something to counteract that. Don't yep. just sit there and suck eggs no. and think, oh, this is just part and parcel, right? Mm-hmm. Like voice up and go, hey, I'm, I'm actually feeling like, yep. you know, and they might yep. be able to top, top you up with something. <laughs> and partners. So, A, we're going to give you all the medications. There is nothing worse than feeling nauseous and crappy. So, yep give you the medications. Often you feel sick because your blood pressure is dropping. Right. What they will actually do is just correct your blood pressure and then you'll feel a bit better. Yeah. Um, But partners, ask for cold cloths to put on their head. Remind them to slow their breathing. Breathe through the nose and slow that down. It's just going to help to slow that cycle and reduce that nausea a little bit. You can even go, there's some people who will enjoy, you know, using acupressure points. We've got that point in kind of the centre of our wrist, two fingers down from the crease of your wrist, you can apply mm. pressure to that. Your partner can be holding a thumb on that point and applying pressure for you to help to relieve that nausea. You know, all those things coming together are just a really yeah. nice way to mm-hmm. the body. Yeah. Uh, within that space. My, yeah. my husband, when we are in the waiting area, <clears throat> uh, the midwife who was looking after us, uh, I can't remember whether he asked for it or she suggested it, Mm. but he was obviously nervous. Mm. And so he just needed, he wanted to chew some chewing gum. Yeah. Because I think that just kind of got him doing something. (laughs) And he was like, and um, in the end, she found him PK chewy. It's so old school from like back when we were like yeah, so yeah, young. Yeah. <laughs> and so every single time I see PK chewy, I just think of He's like Grayson like standing next to me going <laughs> chewing like a girl. And I maybe that was a good distractant for me as well, though. Yeah. I don't I don't know, but um yeah, yeah that was a good one. It's almost okay. like you create this little bubble with you and your support oh. people in that space. You've got your own music on. Um, yes. Can you ask for your own music? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's yeah. on the list. Ask for your own music. Um, if there's sort of signs that that's not available, you take your own music with you and you play it next to you, like through your phone or whatever it is, so you guys can hear it. Like it's just those little, little yeah. things. Um, I love that. Some theatres, not all, will dim external lights. So it's not as, mm-hmm. like, obviously the operating lights are all staying on. But, yes. you know, the extra external stuff gets dimmed down. You know, all those little things are still so relevant in this space. Yeah. Um, Can you, because I'm a very um, sensory uh, mm-hmm. person when it comes to smell. Yeah. 
And I actually, I remember because we were working with the same, um, was it you who said bring in some cotton buds with mm-hmm. like your favourite scent on yeah. it and put it on the pillow next to you? Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so I'm going to go smell cotton bud. I'm just writing this all down, people. You're going to thank me later for it. Okay, I love that. Okay, so we're we're lying there. We mm-hmm. don't have our arms strapped in. Mm-hmm. We've got music playing, doing a bit of breath work, the spinal mm-hmm. taps working. Mm-hmm. What are the next things that we can kind of make as the next experience i'm assuming (laughs) explain to us what's actually happening at that time like yeah catheterine and all that all the fun stuff starts to happen i will say things happen very quickly um certainly as a new midwife that was a i was like whoa (laughs) whoa even now to this day i've had moments where i'm like oh my god the baby's born like that was so fast so i think it's just that understanding of it so what will happen is once the spinal's in and you're lying down and it's starting to work um the recommendation is to have a catheter in because you're not going to have feeling over your bladder and that'll yeah. stay in until you're up and moving probably the next day yeah um to give you a bit of rest time so that will go in um you won't really feel and you it. do not feel it p.s no, you won't feel you don't feel it no. and i have to say it's actually a blessing because if you're like <laughs> me in pregnancy and like every other woman um, <laughs> yes. is you're so sick to death of getting up to go to the toilet overnight yeah. that you're like, oh, my God, this is really quite convenient. Maybe we can keep this in a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. And then basically from there they're going to paint your tummy this beautiful, I think most hospitals have pink, bright, hot pink, paint yeah. your tummy pink. That's all the antiseptic stuff. Wait for it to dry. Then they're going to stick all the drapes down. So through all that, you're going to feel touching, but you might still notice a little bit of cold sensation and that's okay. They're taking the time that it takes to do all this is while the spinal's working. So it might not have fully kicked in yet. Then it's going to pop a drape down and that drape has two parts. So one part is see-through and one is not Mm -hmm. see-through. Don't freak out. They always put both up um, and they both stay up for as long as you want them to stay up. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, you've got your anaesthetist there with you checking in, how you're feeling, um, checking ice. And then when you're kind of not feeling ice anymore, you're not feeling cold sensations and you're not feeling touch, you're mm-hmm. ready to go and have your baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so interesting. There's kind of two paths women will take. Some really like to be kind of narrated through their birth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably a smaller proportion of women. And yeah. I don't know, okay, what, where are we at? Um, yes. Others just want that heads up. Okay, your baby's almost here. And often what I will say as a midwife, um, I will tell families, even if they don't want to be narrated or anything, I'm like, listen, you'll hear this suction sound. And when you hear that suction sound and you've never missed the sound, that's when your baby's waters have broken. Okay, that's when they're ready to be born because that's what it is, the suction sucking up all that amniotic fluid. That's Mm. the water's breaking and your baby's not far away from now. I think even just knowing that, so when you hear that sound, you know you're like, oh, my God, you get that anticipation and that excitement. They're almost here. 
And that time from starting the surgery to your baby arriving is not long. No, it's so <laughs> quick. That's what I was so shocked about. I didn't like I didn't opt in for a narration, but I mm. checked in because I was like too busy like yapping to my um, anesthetist. He was he was an amateur photographer and he was like, oh, have you got your phone? And I was like, yep. And he's like, oh, do you mind if I take some pictures? I was like, yeah, go for it. And I think I've said this to you before, Em, yeah. the photos, he took about 250 photos oh. during the entire thing. And I have a photo of Eva being lifted out of my stomach and it looks mm-hmm. like something from National Geographic. Mm-hmm. I'm not joking. The lighting just, and she's got like, you know, my daughter, as soon as she came out of my my body, she was, she was speaking and she hasn't stopped since just like her mother. Um, But she's got this like, look on her face and she's just, oh my God, you know, obviously the cord's still attached. Mm. It is special. Spectacular, but that only took like I feel like ten minutes. Yeah. Like I checked in, I was like, yep. "Oh, can you?" I actually said, "Can you let me know when you've started?" And they're like, "She's nearly here." And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Yeah, it takes longer if you've had a cesarean birth before and there's scar tissue. Good to know. Oh, okay. Longer, um, yeah. but primary cesareans they are quick. Mm. Um. So what will usually happen is, yeah, you'll hear that suction sound if you're listening for it or someone will say they're almost here. And with a family-centred cesarean, you know, know that you have the option. Some women and families will choose to have the drape dropped before their baby's actually out mm-hmm. um, and they were asked to have their head sit up a little bit so they can actually see their baby as they're born. Um, I wish I had the balls to do that. Yeah. Like I, I, like I got asked and mm. I was like, oh, no, I don't think I can do it. Mm. Um, but I, in hindsight, I wish I did. Yeah, and I can reassure you really don't. You just see like a baby emerging. <laughs> from Yeah, you don't see like your tummy still. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's what I was worried about. I was like, like yeah. I don't want to see my insides not giving you like bird's eye view of. No, no, yeah. no. <laughs> so that's your first option. Others will choose to have the drape dropped just as baby is emerging and then you'll see your baby. Yeah. Um, and we wait for that first cry. It's good to know that first cry can be delayed. Mm-hmm. Uh whether a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth, a baby has just been born into the world. Like, yeah, take a minute. <laughs> and they yes. do. Um, you know, it all depends on the position they're in and the timing between, you know, the waters breaking and them exiting, like all that kind of stuff and being born. It just, it all changes. But it's normal mm. for those babies not to scream and cry immediately. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So what will usually happen is it's kind of, it is a bit of like a simple moment where your baby's sort of there in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) And you're finding out like, you know, you might not have, you might not know whether you're having a girl or a boy and that's that moment you're finding out together and they're right there. Um, During that time, the clear drape is still there and usually baby, you'll be able to touch through the clear drape. Often we'll lower baby down so that all the blood can, there's delayed cord clamping. It still happens with cesarean births. It's still standard practice. Um, So all that blood is still getting to your baby at that point in time. So we lower them down so they can get that. So they'll kind of be laying across your chest Mm. um, a little bit lower. And then 
we come into this space where it's sort of like have the discussions. So it's more obstetrician-based. Um, it should be woman-based ultimately. I think as long as you know the the benefits, the risks, all those kind of things, you can then make decisions as you go. Mm. Of course, we're going to work to reduce the risk of infection, things like that. Some obstetricians are really happy for um, partners to cut the cord at that point in time. Um, Otherwise, they will leave it long uh, for you to cut once it's been moved, once baby's out of that kind of operating field space. Mm -hmm. There's been a beautiful big move to skin, like direct skin to skin. So the cord pulsated, giving all that blood to baby, it gets clamped and cut and then baby gets handed directly over the drape and onto mum's chest and the drape gets moved back up. That is a huge difference. Uh, There are still areas that will do it sort of baby is born, handed to midwife, goes over to see a paediatrician and get cleaned up and all that kind of stuff and then wrapped up and brought back and that's, okay if that's what you want like totally I didn't think that there was any choice no I was I was kind of like uh, and it's not I don't know I feel like it was never offered nothing else was ever offered and it was kind Mm. of like this is this is the sequence of events and then this is what happens and I was like okay Mm. you know which is so hard to yeah. advocate for yourself and in hindsight you know now that I'm in this space I completely know what I can and can't mm. ask for um and that's why we're here because it yeah. still happens and it is yes. still happening we're still in that space where if you don't ask it probably won't happen and that's why we want to talk about it mm. because Absolutely. you know yeah it's it's a big difference yeah I think it's important also to note that you know as a mum and I found this like and I think this is one of the things that I found really really difficult is because I am naturally quite an extrovert and I never really had a problem you know advocating for myself before I had become a mother Mm -hmm. I found it so challenging almost like an out-of-body experience Mm -hmm when I was feeling the way that I was feeling, but the words weren't coming out. Mm. And I was like, why can't I ask for this? Mm. And I feel like it was just that because I wasn't educated, because Mm. I didn't know, because I had someone who was in a position of authority, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking at a a private obstetrician and a hospital system and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, well, they must know best, Mm -hmm. right? Even though with like deep in my core, I wanted to see my placenta. Mm. I never got to see that. Mm. I wanted my baby to be skin to skin mm-hmm. straight away. I didn't want her to have a hat on mm. and none of that happened. And I actually like, I'm quite sad about the fact that I didn't advocate for myself more around that. But having said that though, I think this is the conversation where, you know, a checklist like this mm. is probably a really good idea to pass on to your support person mm. because, mm-hmm they may feel like they're in a better position to advocate for you. I think Mm. when, you know, when you're in that moment yourself, Mm. just something else going on in your brain, like you're birthing a baby for God's Mm. sakes. Like Mm. (laughs) you just don't have the mental capacity to like Mm. checklist those things off, right? Yeah. And that's literally what I teach is 
I say birth preferences rather than birth plan. That just feels more comfortable for me. But I talk about, okay, the whole reason we have these discussions before your birth experience is so you can identify your birth preferences and what it is that you value and you want in your experience, no matter what, no matter what journey your birth takes, those are the things that you value and they can happen whether you have a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth. So identifying them, but I also say, you know, have someone that you've chosen to advocate for those because in that moment you have so much else happening. If we can have someone else there to advocate, whether that be your partner, your partner's not always the best person um, in some ways, but it might be that trusted midwife or a doula or, Mm. you know, someone else that's there to really advocate for that. So that's the whole point in this discussion is to say, you know, these discussions are happening at 36 weeks pregnant, like happening in pregnancy. Preparation takes place then, not in that moment your baby's being born. Do you find a difference? Like, Like would you recommend, say you sat down with this checklist and, you know, you got your village on board with like what that looks like for you in terms of your birth preferences. And I actually really love that terminology. That's great, Em. But do you think that that's, um, you know, how do you tackle that? Do you take that to your obstetrician or mm. your midwife and go, look, this is what we've spoken about. I need to know that you're on board with this as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And it needs to happen early. Yeah. Like, don't wait until you're 40 weeks pregnant. You know, as soon as you start to have these thoughts and feelings and kind of navigating through them, jot them down notes on your phone, on a bit of, like, whatever it is, jot them down, talk about them, form them into whatever you want it to be, and then at the next appropriate time, take them to your next appointment and say, what are your um, thoughts, recommendations around immediate skin-to-skin? Yeah. Maternal-assisted cesarean. We haven't gone there. We're not going to go there today. But oh, man. Those that- kind of things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and say, well, what are your thoughts? Because that's that moment where you're going to go, okay, my midwife values things differently to me, so therefore someone else is going to advocate for those on my behalf. Yeah, gotcha. All I want women to know is that in that room you are in charge. Mm -hmm. You are in charge. It doesn't mean that we're not here to give you information and to make recommendations and all that kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, if you're saying, I want immediate skin to skin with my baby, mm. we're going to find a way to make that happen and we yeah. should be finding a way to make that happen. Yeah. Well, Unless yeah. Bubby is, you know, quite yeah. sick, you know, there's yeah. exceptional circumstances yes. to every rule and, yeah. you know, everyone I would say would be on board with that. Yeah. But, you know, if they're coming out with a great APGAR score mm. and, you know, looking fine. Transitioning, yep, exactly. There's absolutely no medical reason mm. why Bubby should be, you know, handballed from mm. private obstetrician to midwife to paediatrician, weight. Like there's mm. actual no evidence to support why all of those things need to happen straight mm. away. It is literally a checkbox scenario of like, yep, we've done that. And I think it's good to also keep in mind when we're talking skin to skin, there's so much emphasis on that first hour. But when you actually look at the research and the statistics, early skin to skin, which is what 
most of the recommendations are saying is early skin to skin is within the first 24 hours. Those mm. benefits they're talking about, all of those benefits to early skin to skin, the definition of that is the first 24 hours. Yes. You know, so it's not that first hour, but it's also not just that first 24 hours. Like it's yeah, postpartum. Yeah, 100%. And <laughs> I think if people would have listened to, and I'm just very quickly um, finding my list, but we spoke about that in Dr. Greer Kirschenbaum's latest episode, in episode 74. She knew that her baby was going to NICU, right? And so she was like, guacamole, what am I going to do? And she missed out on that early skin to skin, but she had a plan. And that plan was a ton of skin to skin afterwards. And I guess that's a really great point to have, Em. You know, if you are in this scenario where it's an emergency C-section and for whatever reason, Bubby is not in a great way and they have to be in NICU or they can't, you can't have that immediate like first 10 minutes skin to skin. Please do not think that that is a failure. Please do not think that that's a huge strike against, you know, Mm. that bonding. It's not, it's absolutely not. We can always make up for it. Thank God humans are resilient and we can, you know, and I'm cautious that we're nearing the end of our conversation. Yes. But I just want to say, like, the other thing is skin to skin in a theatre. So you've got a drape that's, you know, up around just below your breasts usually. Yeah. And then you you might birth a good-sized baby, you know. We love a chubby bubby. Yeah. <laughs> um, a chubby bubby on your chest sometimes isn't the most comfortable thing for women as well. So there's yeah. options where, yeah, maybe baby, it's not most appropriate for them to go immediately skin to skin. But also if you're, you've just birthed your baby and they've come over and they're close and you've got them skin to skin, you're like, oh, I can't breathe, I'm a little bit hot and flustered, I don't feel yes. very well, whatever it is, don't feel like that's a failure. That is the moment where you go, right now my body needs something else mm-hmm. and it's not going to interpact that whole bonding and that relationship no. or any of that. You know, even if you just want to have baby cheek to cheek is the other one. Yes. I love babies too. It's we did that. Cool. Like, you know, we all of that. that kind of stuff is still yeah. so relevant. Yeah. And um, maybe that's an opportunity for your partner to do skin to skin in those yeah. first moments. I know Grayson had Eva um, for quite some time before I got out of the surgery and into the recovery room and things mm-hmm. like that. So I guess for me, I was kind of like, I just need her to be with one of us. Yeah. You know, like. And then I got plenty of time um, after that. Mm. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we wrap up and do our rapid fire? I know we probably haven't done this like our proper service and maybe this is part one. I was of, gonna say, there's a million other is, things. <laughs> I think let's do that. Let's do that because I feel like, um, okay, we've got to Bubby mm. and Bubby's here. So maybe let's do, again, people, this is what I do. I do it on the fly. Let's do a part two of Mm -hmm. like, okay, Bub's arrived. Now what happens next? The postpartum of C-sections. Yeah, yeah. Love to. I think that would be super, super valuable because I, boy, oh, boy, I got a lot to contribute. Em, let's do our rapid fire unless there's anything else. Is there anything else that we need to know about the theatre or anything before we jump into part two? 
No, I think we leave it there. I think we also probably the only thing is that I probably touched on it. The theatre, if that is your place of birth, um, that is your room. Yeah. And, you know, shop talk, any of that stuff happening on the outside, do not be afraid to tell people to shut up. Like I cannot yeah. emphasise that enough. Most people are really respectful of that. But, you know, if you're noticing that stuff, just it doesn't have to be you that actually says it, but pass it on to someone nearby to be able to have that conversation with them and just close it down so that you get to have that privacy of that birth experience and um yeah I think that yeah there's a million things I can talk about we all know that but yeah we can leave it there yeah. I like that yeah because I can't imagine that there would be a lot of shop talk if it was a vaginal birth no no, <laughs> no, no right, let's, yeah yeah <laughs> well, what do you what do you <laughs> like later for lunch no I don't imagine that that's what it would be okay let's jump into our rapid fire mm-hmm. all right what is your top tip for birthing mamas? Like, okay, environment is my top tip. So, like, birth space, set up the birth space. Senses, activating your senses. So, focus on smell, what you can hear, sight, dimming light, and who is there. If you can focus on that whole circle, it's going to promote hormones, whether it's a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth. That is, like, top tip. Start there. Love it. Love it. Um, do you have a go-to resource, whether it be a book, a workshop for for mamas? <laughs> well, I teach pelvis. <laughs> there we go. There's your shameless plug. I love it. No, go for yeah, it, that's my That's my resource. I teach pelvis for a reason. It aligns with what I think women should know and prepare for for birth. And I really want to acknowledge that that preparation within calm birth is not just vaginal birth. We do talk vaginal birth, but we're going to talk cesarean. We're going to talk instrumental. We're going to talk postpartum. Like all of it comes into play. So, yeah. yeah. Take a look. I love that. <clears throat> uh, last question. What do you keep on your bedside table? Um, Like ev- everything. Can I say everything? <laughs> and then I kind of like open the drawer and like Scoop it. Sweep it in. Yeah. <laughs> so your house and contents, really? House and contents, yes. What's there at this exact moment in time? I don't actually know. That's a great question. I wish you told me before so I could go and check what's there. Sorry. Mm. I, I, I poached this question from Brene Brown. Are you reading <laughs> any books at the moment? I am actually. During my time off, I've been doing a lot of reading and I'm really into like suspenseful thrillers. Oh. Um, so at the moment I'm reading Do No Harm. Okay. Um, and I'm only like, I'm not even like a chapter into it yet, but. Has it grabbed you? Do you, this is, okay, this is my other question I love asking people. Do you have a policy when it comes to books? Because I have. Mm. If it doesn't, if if it, if it I don't feel like it's an absolute page turner at mm. page 50, I've been it. Mm-hmm. One chapter. Because I'm like, I don't, I don't, I'm not into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't have time. I don't. I just don't. I yep. feel like that we have a lot of books available to us in this world and I'm like, if you don't get me in the first 50, I'm out. Yeah, and I fall into that space of like I'll read it and then I'll read it another night and then if I'm not thinking about it or wanting to read it, I just don't go back. Okay, I like that. That's Are fine. you thinking about it? Yeah, <laughs> cool, awesome. All right, Em, um, where can we find you? Where are you at? Where are you hanging out? Socials, website? How do we yep. sign up for your birth class? Yeah, so. Uh, seasonsofbirth.com.au is where my website is. I'm at Seasons of Birth 
birth underscore on Instagram. Signing up for the birth classes, you can go through the Calm Birth website to access those or you can go through my own private website. I also post a lot of links and things around social media. So I am big on sharing, advocating, um, providing resources within that Instagram space. So I would head there to start with and take a look at what's on there. Yeah. Very good resources, I have to say. Well, it has been amazing and way too quick. Oh, my goodness. So, but that's okay because we've already decided that we're going to do a part two and we will have the checklist available to those who um, are keen to know more about that. We'll have it on both your website and our website. So that will be amazing. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge. It's so nice to have someone on the inside who has walked the walk, you know, not just talk the talk. And <laughs> I absolutely love it. I remember seeing a beautiful email that you put together for a, a mutual client that we had. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, I wish I had Emma when I was having a C-section because <laughs> I didn't do any of that stuff and I think it would have made such a difference. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you're mm-hmm. amazing. Keep doing what you're doing, girlfriend. We will be back. We will be back. (laughs) Until next time. (laughs) Thanks, guys. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.